Welcome to the Arrive and Thrive podcast. We are your hosts, Tyson Day and Daniel Lenardi. Our podcast is designed to give you fresh perspectives and educational insights to make sure you thrive in every moment. Regularly, we are joined by thought leaders, life learners, and generally amazing humans who bring an approach just like us, casual, relaxed, and curious. What does it take to be an elite athlete, compete at the Olympics, and all the while make a transition into a new vocation? In this episode, we sit down with Aidan Roach, an Olympic water polo player, and Roz Holding, a career development practitioner from the AIS. We explore Aidan's journey and the vital work the AIS is doing, like their Evolve program, to help athletes make successful transitions and continue to win after their playing career. We hope you enjoy the episode. Arrive and Thrive would like to begin by acknowledging the traditional custodians of the land on which we recorded this podcast and pay our respects to their elders, leaders past, present and emerging. Aidan Roach and Roz Holding, welcome to the Arrive and Thrive podcast. How are you guys going today? Yeah, really good. Thanks. Just um, so happy to be here and, and be a part of it. So I'm really excited to get going, mate. Awesome. Yeah, I'm well too. Thanks very much, Tyson. Um, really um, honoured to come on your program, which has been uh, tracking along really nicely. I've watched, listened to a couple of episodes. So thanks for having both of us. Oh, it's our pleasure. And um, Dan, how are you going today? Yeah, going well. Welcome again, Aidan and Roz. Terrific. And so, guys, can you please share um, what you are both involved in with our listeners, perhaps starting with yourself, Aidan? Um, yeah, so recently um, the AIS have, have rolled out a, a program, um, the Evolve program, and it's basically, you know, just to try and help athletes um, with with everything outside of sports, so trying to help them find work or, or think about their future and, and, and basically what's the next step. Um, and it also helps, you know, the employees as well. And it helps find, you know, a, a good relationship between employees and, and elite athletes to try and give them that leeway and, and find a good balance in still being able to train and, and maintain maintain high levels of sport while or getting a fair bit of work experience under their belt. Yeah, awesome. And mate, and so you're a professional athlete for our, our listeners who are at home. And, and can you share what sport you're involved in and and the level that you're playing at? Yeah, um, so I play water polo um, and I'm a two-time Olympian and, and touch wood if, if things keep going going well and um, the coronavirus cases in Australia seems pretty pretty good now, but across the world, uh, keep drop or will drop. Then hopefully uh, I get to go again next year in Tokyo. Amazing. And Roz, yourself? Yeah, Tyson, um, I work obviously for the AIS and I work in the people development and wellbeing team um and i guess the business unit i would say is mostly in athlete well-being and engagement um and my focus or area of work is predominantly around careers and career development for elite athletes yeah terrific and i think you know dan we've, we've always um we've always loved you know professional sport and watching uh, athletes perform at their best and so i know both you and i are really excited to um dive into the world that aiden and, and ros have been involved in yeah, I'm really looking forward to it. I'm really looking forward to learning, learning about this space. That's it. That's what we do best on this podcast. We learn. <laughs> <laughs> and so, Aiden, I'd love to kick it off with you, mate. So, like, when did you realise you wanted to be a professional athlete? And, and I think sometimes, you know, everyday people don't necessarily realise, like, how hard elite athletes work to, to get to the level that you're at. Can you, can you share us through your journey of how it all happened? Mate, um, it probably all really started with um, the Sydney Olympics. Um, I remember um, when it went ahead, just how excited everyone was. And, and at the time, you know, my, my family was living at Raipur and 
my mum and dad have always been involved in, in sport and, and great lovers of sport, and especially Australians at, at the Olympics and representing at the highest level. So my mum was so excited. We had like a big opening ceremony party at, at, at home and she tried to take us to as many events as we could get to for the Olympics and the Paralympics. And I, I just remember going there and, and feeling like it was Christmas every day for two weeks. So that's probably where the, the love really started um, for the Olympics and, and everything. And then um, water polo just started, sort of started progressing more and more. Um, started playing water polo when I was about nine years old. Um, and then as soon as I came to around 13, 14, I started to get a little bit more serious. And then I probably really, really wanted to give it a red hot crack when I turned 15 and, and had my first really serious, um, serious coach who, who showed me a whole different new perspective to the game. And, and from there, I just thought, you know what, I want to give this a red hot crack. That's awesome, mate. And I, I saw um, before the show, I, I was um, doing a bit of a, a Google on uh, some of the campaigns that you've been involved in and, and so forth. And I, I love the story that you shared on the, the step back piece around when you missed out on the, the state team, but then took that feedback and, and was able to make the national team um, the following year, I believe. Is that correct? Yeah, yeah, obviously, you know, from the outside in, um, most people just see, you know, the Olympic Games and, and what a spectacle it is. But like you said, there's a long journey um, to actually getting there. And, you know, along the way, I've had so many setbacks. But, yeah, the one in particular that you're talking about, um, mate, basically just I was in a training camp for, for most of the summer and I sacrificed a lot. I really thought, you know, I'm going to go there, I'm going to give it a red-hot crack and turn up to every training session and do the right thing. And, Mate, I got a tap on the shoulder at the end of the training camp after training so hard. And they said, mate, mate you're, not, you're not in the team. So, you know, from there, I just, you know, um, thought about the setback and, and took a bit of time to myself and thought, where could I improve? And I think this is, you know, a lot of part, a big part of um, all elite athletes' lives because no journey is ever just from A to B. It's um, all over the place with a lot of setbacks. And as an athlete along the way, you've got to learn to take the knocks and, and learn from the experience and then also set goals moving forward so you can think about the big picture and not just dwell on the past the whole time. Cool, mate. Can you also share the difference between an elite athlete and what we see in the Olympics compared to perhaps professional athletes that we see in the AFL and NRL? Because I think uh, for me personally, it took me a little while to understand You know the difference between you know the fact that professional athletes gain a regular income and that elite athletes most of the time have to balance gaining an income whilst also competing with their um, training commitments and so forth. Can you break that down a little bit? Yeah, um, 100%. Yeah. When I was in Europe and, and it was fully professional, you know, I didn't have to worry about about too much else. You know, a uh, typical day for me would be I'd just go to training and, and probably come home. But whereas I come home and, it, and it's not professional, you know, it's a, it's a lot more demanding um, both sides of things. Obviously, you know, uh, a lot of the players in my team, you know, have mortgages now. So they've got to pay the bills and, and also be able to live properly. So, mate, a lot of us, you know, a typical day for me, like on, on Monday was I trained in the morning before work, um, about 7 to 8.30, got into work by 10, trained till about, uh, sorry, worked until 5 and then went to training again from, from 7 to from seven till eight thirty, so that's a pretty typical day and, and some days are even uh, you know heavier like um we we have gym and, and pool sometimes after after work and so obviously it's pretty demanding and, and you don't have as much time to yourself whereas when i was in europe um you know it, when it was professional i had all the time in the world so now it's just you know it's pretty much just work and work and training and and i look forward to the weekend where i get a little bit of downtime mate and so mate when you were a junior athlete so you're going from you know you're 15 16 it's becoming more of a, a a priority for you with your water polo how did you go about you know 
balancing and, and managing, you know, your school subjects and, and all of those types of things. And, and let alone like thinking about university to which you've, you've completed a degree and, and so forth. Can you share that perspective? Mate, to be um, perfectly honest with you, um, during school, I wasn't, wasn't the best student. You know, I was pretty focused on, on water polo and, and trying to get to the highest level. And, you know, everyone always told me along the way, you know, to stop, take a step back and start thinking about having a plan B and, and going back to uni and, and doing well at school. But I didn't really listen. And to be honest with you, that part of my life didn't really sort of start till I was 26. And basically what happened was um, I came home from, from the Rio Olympics and I had to have shoulder surgery. And I was sitting in my hospital bed and I just thought to myself, sorry, excuse the language, but I thought to myself, shit, what's next? Um, I'm 26 year old, years old. I don't have a university degree. I don't have any work, work experience. Um, what's next? And and basically from there, I decided, you know what, I really got to start thinking about the next stage of my life. And I, and I went back to university, which um, I've just finished my last subject and, and hopefully will graduate um, quite shortly. Awesome. Time to celebrate, man. <laughs> yeah, yeah, finally. I'm, I'm the world's <laughs> oldest graduate, but I got there in the end. What are you, what are you studying, Aiden? Um, I'm studying... Yeah. Um, a Bachelor of Commerce and, and major in accounting. So, yeah, I've, I've just finished. But mate, when I, because I'm, I'm part of the Olympics Unleashed program that goes out and, and talks to schools. And one of the main things that, that I like to talk about is, you know, it's not just good to be so focused on, on one thing at, at all times. You know, it's because um, you get too caught up. If you have a bad day in the pool, it affects your whole life. So if you have things outside it, like constantly tick over your education, um, I think it's it's very important just to be more of a holistic person rather than just being so focused on one thing because when things go bad in that one thing, it seems like your world's coming down and crashing, whereas you've got a couple of things that helps take your mind off things sometimes and, and that can even help you perform better in the pool because you're not so focused on just the one thing and building up so much pressure on yourself the whole time. Yeah, it's a great point, that. Really really trying to find balance in different areas of your life. Yeah, I think it's it's, it's really important because, you know, as an elite athlete, um, you know, I remember there was, when I was playing professionally overseas in Europe, if I had a bad day and I didn't have my family around, it it'd literally affect me for three or four days when it shouldn't be like that. You know, at the end of the day, it's just a game. Whereas if you've got other things going on as well, then you can take your mind off the game and, and, and you're a lot happier um, playing the game and, and just happier in general. Roz, from your perspective, what are some of the challenges different athletes have in career transition from what you see in your work at the AIS? Well, just, you know, even just hearing Aiden speak there, there's a, you know, it, it is very individualised for athletes and it can, um, career transition can be short or it could be long. Um, it can be, as Aiden said, you know, definitely not linear. Um, the environment within their sport, um, the support and the network they have around them as an elite athlete, um, their coach, their parents, their friends. There's just, it's quite a complex system um, which can largely influence it. Um, and the challenges then sort of trickle from there. So balance is a key thing. So being able to balance all the competing things within their lives, I think is, is probably one of the key challenges. Mm. And, um, yeah, athletes being able to, um, you know, plan ahead, is difficult because there is uncertainty as I'd mentioned with injuries, setbacks, selections, and just that constant need to thrive in quite a high pressure environment. Absolutely. And like from your perspective, Aiden, someone who, you know, throughout your career, you've, you've had to deal with 
different levels of uncertainty. What, what have been some techniques, if you don't mind sharing, that you've, you've employed to, to be able to do that? Yeah, well, just, you know, from the sports side, or just basically in, in life in general, you know, you never know what, what's going to happen in, in sport, whether you're going to make the team or, or what's going to happen. So um, one thing that I, I did and, and what I did as a kid and I still do today is I just wrote a couple of goals and I used to, you know, just literally put them above my bed. So when I woke up every morning and I uh, went to bed every night, I'd just go over my goals and what I was going to do and, and what I had to do to achieve those goals. And, you know, that sort of takes takes away the uncertainty because if you have the goal in mind, you're not thinking about everything that's going on and the rest of it. You're more focused on, on what you've got to do in day in, day out. And, you know, what? even if you don't achieve your goal at the end, at least you've been focused through the whole time and you're not worried about things that, basically are outside of your control. You just try and control what you can control. And the goals for me were a daily reminder to, to do that as well. You know, one of my goals was to train hard and not just go through the motions at training. And that's what I had to do every day to, 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 to get to my goal and, and actually achieve it. So I think that's, that's one way that you can sort of just stay focused and, and try and not get distracted by all the outside noise and outside pressure. Just think about what you can control and actually write down a couple of things um, because it's easy just to, you know, to go through emotions day by day and get distracted by things um, quite easily. But if you have actually things written down and you go over it constantly, it's a bit easier to focus on going into your day to day. And I did that with the university as well. And, you know, um, hopefully it worked. I'm waiting on that last month to, to see if it passed. <laughs> but catch it, it, it should get me through again. Yeah, it's such a, it's such a good point because I know for for me personally and and you know just writing down and reorientating your focus towards certain measurable tasks and goals and and step-by-step processes can can really bring that sense of calm i think the key which you know you're hearing is career adaptability for athletes and learning really from early on um how they can manage themselves and manage all the different things that they need to put into their day and then how they build their skills along the way. Like it's a, it's a planned process. Um, it's not left to the last minute. Um, and that's, I guess, something that is being spoken about across all our sports that we look after at the moment is how athletes, um, in terms of their well-being, can be well-prepared. Aidan, we'd love to ask you, mate, what do you think athletes can gain from being a part of the Evolve program? I think, you know, being involved in the Evolve program um, yeah, it's a lot to gain, um, especially around getting a job and, and, and finding work. You know, the Evolve program basically is essentially there to, to find good employees for athletes and, and athletes who would suit the, their employers. So um, they'd get, you know, a lot of experience out of it and, and potentially find a job that, that suits them and, and is flexible while, you know, um, pursuing something that they love. Yeah, cool. And, mate, can you also share about your employer and who they are and, and how they effectively supported you? Yeah, mate, I've been, you know, really lucky and, and blessed. Um, I'm currently working at PKF, um, an accounting firm. Um, we've got offices all over the place, but I'm predominantly in, in Sydney. Um, and, you know, I'm, I'm really, really lucky. The the partner here, uh, my boss, Nick Fowlson, um, used to play water polo and I uh, just had a coffee with him one day and met over, over coffee to talk about, you know, a, a career in accounting and, and what it's like. And, at the time I had to do an internship and, and he basically offered for me to come in and do the internship. And then I was lucky enough on, on the end of that to, to get a job here. So I, you know, I'm so thankful to, to PKF and just our arrangement at the moment is, um, you know, they've been really, really flexible with all the training that I have to do and, 
and everything. So, you know, some mornings that I, I might come into work a bit late because I have training in the morning or I might have to leave a bit early in the afternoon. So, you know, it's it's been really beneficial. I've learned so much while I've been here and, you know, I've been lucky enough to, to keep a, keep pursuing my sport at the same time. Yeah, cool. It just goes to show the importance of, you know, sharing with your employer where you're at and what they need because it's a, it's a two-way street. Uh, obviously, but um, have you got any advice that you could share with uh, other athletes who are potentially looking for an employer? Um, uh, the first thing you know, I'll probably advise is you know have a couple of chats to to people in different industries that you're interested in, interested in, and and then you know might not know whatever comes of it, but but also uh, when you're looking for an employer is if you if you are training full time and, and everything like that, then obviously you need a lot of flexibility around around that so like we were saying before about having an open and honest honest conversations just basically having that conversation from from the get-go and 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 telling them you know these are the commitments that i have to that i want to do and and have to see through and um whether it suits them for for you to come on board or or vice versa so you know i think it's really really important to to do that and and if the employee you know is happy to support you then you know then then you're all the more lucky but i think when you're looking for an employer, you have to sort of ask these questions just so it's not, you know, one day you come in and say, oh, mate, I'm sorry, but I've got to go away for a couple of months and, and give them the shock of their lives. Aiden, do you have like some key things that you think about that you took into your university degree in your working professional life from the professional water polo? Yeah, I, I think one of the biggest things which probably one of my most annoying traits as well was um, just ask a lot of questions and, and ask for constant feedback, you know, especially, you know, in water polo, if the coach isn't really talking to you too much, or then you don't actually know what you have to work on to, to get into the team. Or if you don't uh, ask him, you know, how can I fix this or how can I do that? Then the team actually might suffer in the long run because you didn't ask the question and didn't try and adapt and, and, and change to it. So I sort of took that going into university. If I didn't know anything, you know, I know it's a bit hard sometimes and people don't really like to speak up, but, I asked the lecturers you know, a million and one questions all the time, especially if I didn't understand something because at the end of the day, you know, even if it was a dumb question, I, I still got a better understanding about the subject and, and what I can get out of it. And um, I've only just started to work recently and, and it's probably annoying my, my workmates and colleagues already, but I just try and ask as many questions as I can because I feel like that verbal communication helps me helps me personally and I think it helps everyone in general just get a better understanding of the subject and the more you know about the subject the better chance you've got to succeed in. It's mm, a great point. Mm. What are some of what are some of the challenges you found as an elite athlete and then transitioning into the study and balancing that? Um, I think uh, one of the main things as an elite athlete is you do get a lot done for you. Um, you just got to rock up. Like the, the, the manager will give you the training schedule. You just have to rock up. Or you just get, you know, everything will be organized for you. And like you just got to turn up at the airport. And basically, once you're at the airport, you're on tour. Everything's taken care of. You know, you've got your meals and, and you know, your accommodation, everything, flights are sorted and, and that. Whereas university, you probably have to be a bit more structured and, and careful about your time and actually think about what you're doing and, and when you're doing it. Um, you know, no one, the lecturer is not going to tap you on the shoulder to be like, mate, you're assignment's due in a week. You know, you sort of <laughs> just got to do that by yourself and, and be organised and get on top of that. And, and that's the same as work. You know, if you get given a job, um, your boss, one, you don't want your boss constantly tapping on your shoulder going, oh, mate, when's it going to be finished? When's it going to be finished? Because it's not a good look. And, 
and you just want to get in there and get the work done. So you have to plan and, and think about a bit more about what you have to do and when you have to do it rather than as an elite athlete, most of those things, you know, you just rock up to the pool and then you work hard. Uh, everything else is sort of organized around the team. So um, just more individually organizing yourself to get things done. Do you have any other tips or advice for, you know, a young person listening who's maybe going down the route of becoming a professional elite athlete? Do you sort of have any tips that you wish you knew when you were starting out? Um, yeah, I just wish I took, like I touched on before, I took a bit more advice about towards, you know, um, more more study and, and, and trying a bit harder at school. You know, I got out of school and I literally thought, you know, I wasn't very smart at all, but that was just because I never really applied myself. So um, I think it's easy for people to fall into the trap of, you know, just not, not trying at something and not giving it a go and then just thinking they're not good at it. So maybe, you know, one of my advice is what I said before is to try and think about what the next step is. And especially in sports that, you know, aren't as high profile or aren't as high paying as, um, as you know, some of the big leagues in Australia, like the NRL and AFL, it's, it's really important to think about the next stage. Or, and I think, you know, the Olympic or the AIS and all the Olympic sports have done a really good job. You know, just looking at water polo in the Australian men's team, I think everyone in the team has a university degree or just about to finish a university degree. So there is a big focus on the next stage. And, and I think that's really helped everyone, you know, not just with the performance in the pool, but also organizing their, their lives outside of the pool and, and being a lot more settled when it comes to what's next. That's awesome. Do you have anything you want to add, Roz, around like what the AIS does in regards um, to support systems and support for the elite athletes that go through the AIS? Yeah, well, I guess the, I mean, the AIS is the peak body for high performance sport in Australia. And um, in 2018, they embarked on a new national strategy, um, which was helping to also include a wellbeing element to uh, what we do every day um, and also supporting athletes so that they can stay in their sports longer and perform better. Mm. Uh, so the AIS has been really working at pace on that initiative um it's led by maddie clements uh who uh, is the director of our area uh, she's got a psychology background so as well and um it's been really critically important to uh, look at the, the mental health of athletes um and talk about that within the systems and the policies um that we are putting into place to support athletes um whether it's you know also building resources or um uh, you know, uh, putting um, initiatives in place for athletes when they are competing, but also when they're not competing. So as Aidan said, we're around their study. Um, we have a terrific education network, which has got some fantastic universities that support um, flexible study for athletes. Um, that is in place, uh, different programs that they can get involved in, personal development. Uh, we have a respectful behaviours program and um, a whole range of initiatives in the community engagement area where we have athletes that are supporting initiatives like uh, the Lifeline Custodians Program, where they're putting back and, and giving back into different environments. Um, and all of that really um, gives a complete picture of um, them thriving in their sport um, in addition to them competing. Mm, that's amazing. I've I got to say, Roz, I, I do love how much um, you're using the term thriving. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, good said way. <laughs> love it. Hey, Aiden, I, I just, I, I've got to ask, man, like I, whenever I've watched the Olympics from, from home or, or something like that, I, I've always wondered what it must be like 
you know, on that type of stage. Can, can you share us through and, and the listener, like just the process of, you know, being a selected and then going on that journey of the Olympics and, and some of the things that are involved in that, in that process when you're there and, and before and after? Yeah, the, the journey up until selection is, um, I think it's, you know, it's the journey up there is, is, I think, different for different sports. You know, for water polo, because it's a team sport, we usually have like a big tour beforehand and basically on tour two months before the Olympics. So you live to get everyone all the, all the time together as a team. And, and usually what happens is they basically um, make the selection. Uh, you start off with a squad of like 15 when you're on that two-month tour and then they select this, the team of 13 pretty much uh, two, two or three weeks before you, before you actually go to the Olympics. So um, as you can imagine, that environment, um, sometimes it's, it's really good, but it can be quite stressful as well. You know, I remember the day before my first Olympics, I basically didn't sleep the, the night before the team was picked. I was, I was so nervous. So, um, but then the feeling of, of once you get there and, and get into the village, um, mate, there's, it's, it's, it's quite difficult to describe the feeling besides just how excited you are to be there and, and see, you know, the village, how close you are to other athletes. You know, I remember in London, I got to see Ryan Giggs. I'm a big soccer fan. So I was like, oh my God, Ryan Giggs is there. Name is there. We saw the NBA basketball players. But at the same time, you, you sort of try and got to try and calm yourself down because you're not there to admire all the other athletes. You're there to perform. And I mean, one of the most, you know, proud moments of my life was, you know, walking out um, for the first game and singing the national anthem and just seeing my family and especially my mum and dad who, he would sacrifice so much to, to get me there. So the whole experience is, is amazing from, from being in the food hall, which is incredible, to, to playing your, your games in front of the, the in front of the big crowds, which isn't you know so typical for water polo to, to even the pressure that you're under because you know at the Olympics, even in the round games, uh, one game can, can basically cost you going through to the next stage. So there's a whole range of emotions, you know, you get on some of the highest highs and then um, Unfortunately, sometimes you experience lows and lows. So um, it's just an incredible two weeks and such an incredible atmosphere and environment to be part of. And, and touch, I'm getting excited talking about it now, mate. <laughs> Hopefully next year goes ahead and, and I'm there to experience it all over again. I'm really curious too, like what, once the, the game's finished, like is there, from your end, is there, I suppose there's quite a reflection process that you would naturally go through as well. Yeah, there, there is. And it's, it's, it, for me, it was different after, um, after each Olympics, you know, in, in 2012, it was all new to me and, and I was one of the youngest, younger players in the team. So I was just so excited to be there and, and we ended up making it out of the group and, and playing in the, in the knockout phase of the tournament, which was amazing. And then, Going into to Rio 2016, I was a bit older and I thought our team was a bit better. And I, I, I really thought going into it, you know, um, we had a big shot. Um, I thought, you know, we we're a red hot chance to go through and, and actually do something special because Australia and the men's water polo have never never finished top four before. So I really thought going in there that this was, you know, a big chance for us. And, mate, we didn't even make it out of the group stage. So to be perfectly honest, that that period of reflection afterwards, um, especially, you know, the first couple of days was, was quite a low point for me. But then you look back and, and you start to think about the whole process and where you could have improved and, and maybe the team could have improved just to make sure that next time, if you do there, that, that you make the most of the chance and, and you're not walking away with the, the, with the sinking feeling in your stomach. No, I can, I can only begin to imagine like that, that type of process. And it, I'm curious too, mate, cause your, your, your father um, was a professional sportsman for in the NRL. Can you share some, you know, some of the learnings that you received from him, from, from his journey in a different code? 
Yeah, um, yeah. So my dad played um, rugby league. Um, he, he he played for the Tigers back back in the day, um, and mate, he was obviously um, a really good player. Um, played for Australia and, and played for New South Wales, and so he had a, a wealth of experience. But my dad would never really push too much on me. You know, he's sort of a bit more laid back, and, and if I had any questions, he was always you know up for for answering him, you know, or giving me some advice when I when I asked him about it. So you know, I'd ask him about like what his tools were like. Um, you know, he, he's been in some you know, pretty tough moments himself. Um, he lost a grand final. So so I just spoke to him after, you know, some of my failures about, you know, um, you know about how he dealt with it. And, and he just gave me advice. And, and he's been so supportive um, throughout my whole career, always been there to, to, to help me out whenever I needed it. I, it just goes to show, like, the, the, the power of mentors in every, every shape and, and, and different um, teachers that you may have if it's not only your parents, but your coaches and your support friends and, and just the, uh, like the importance of having a community of people around you when you're going through this type of process as well. Mate, a hundred percent. Like, um, I couldn't agree with you more. I don't think anyone has ever achieved, you know, greatness from like Elon Musk to, to from Tesla to, to some of the people who've achieved some of the greatest things in life without having the right people around them to support them. Um, I don't think anyone's done anything a hundred percent off their own bat. You need to have supportive people around you. And I've been so lucky, you know, throughout my career to have such a supportive family. And then, as you said, along the way, you know, there's been a million people in water polo who have always gone above and beyond to help me. And, and even outside of water polo, have gone above and beyond to help me. And, you know, I'm so grateful and thankful for, for them. And, and it's helped me become the person who I am today. And, you know, I'm, I'm, I just, like, even now thinking back about it, I just, I can't say how, how thankful I am to them. Aiden, you've spent a bit of time playing water polo overseas. Um, were you were you living there? And if so, can you talk us through a little bit of how you dealt with those transitions, living abroad and and following your dream that way? Yeah, um, mate, that, it's like I was talking about before and touching on the communications. Um, it basically got to the point when I was about 19 years old where I really did want to go to the Olympics. And I went up to one of my coaches who was Serbian at the time and I, and I just said to him, mate, what do you think is going to give me the best chance to, to go there? And he said, mate, I just think you're going to move overseas and, and play professionally in Europe. And at the time I was young, 19 and eager, and I didn't quite realise the challenges ahead of me. And that was one of the you know most difficult years of my life. Um, my first year that I, that I went over and played there, I played in a tiny town in, in the north of Serbia called Kikinda. And uh, the water polo season is actually during winter in um, in Europe. Um, and so, you know, coming from a boy from you know Sydney where you're used to nice hot weather during that time of the year to go in and being in minus 10, um, the living conditions weren't, you know, weren't the Mickey Mouse. Um, I was actually living in an ex-refugee camp for the Bosnians during during this, um, the, the, the civil war in, in Yugoslavia. So... You know, um, I got over there and, you know, things as, as you are, you're really excited when you first get over there. But after about five or six months in, mate, um, I, I was, to be you know, brutally honest with you, I was, I was really lonely. Um, I didn't speak the language. Um, I had a lot of, like, I had friends over there, but whenever we'd go out, you know, I'd the only one who could speak or the only one who didn't speak Serbian. So everyone else would have conversations. And, you know, um, it just really hit me after about six months. And, Mate, I was ready to kick the tin, tin in and say, you know, I'm, I want to pack up and come home. And, mate, that's when, you know, we're talking about having that support system that I called my mum and dad on the phone and, you know, I had a long conversation with them where they basically said to me, look, mate, just remember why you're there, remember why you're going there. And, mate, I, I ended up sticking it out over there and, you know, it ended up paying dividends in the end because, you know, I did get to achieve my dream. But, 
I, I really believe that, you know, if I didn't stick out that tough time over there, that, that I would have just, you know, I wouldn't have made it and um, I wouldn't have gone to the Olympics. So that was pretty much my first experience over there. And, and once you sort of get used to things and, and acclimatate to, to the environment, you know, the different culture and the different people and stuff, it, it does get a lot easier. And so I ended up staying in Serbia for another year. Then I, then I moved to Montenegro for a year and then um, finally I moved to Budapest where I, where I lived there for three years. So made all amazing, amazing experiences. Um, I made it sound pretty bleak there, but it, it wasn't like that all the time. I made some great friends over there that I still speak with today and I had some absolute you know, great times with my friends and, and at the same time I, I got to do what I absolutely love doing and that was play water polo day in, day out with a, with a great game every weekend. Mm, that's amazing. Such a good life lesson that you know, sometimes you just got to grit your teeth and get through something that can be a bit challenging, but you're obviously would have been on a huge growth curve. Yeah, mate, a hundred percent. You know, I think, you know, anything in life, yeah, nothing's, nothing's easy. And, you know, if everything was easy, it wouldn't be as sweet when you, when you finally did achieve something, you know, you've got to, you've got to stick out through those tough times sometimes. And then when you get to the other end, it's all the sweeter. Mm. Ros, I've got a question for you. Listen, listening to you speak, Aiden, like you sound like you have such good high awareness and self-awareness of your journey and the things you've gone through and where you've come throughout your whole journey professionally with study, with work. And it's really amazing to hear. And as a career coach, I'm just thinking and I'm seeing the transferable mindsets and skills that can relate to, you know, any kind of life success, whether that's career or business. And I guess, Ros, I just wanted to ask you, do you, what are some of the really key mindsets and transferable skills that you see athletes at the AIS develop and then I guess harness that into making career and life choices? Yeah, there's some really key ones. And um, I think the, you know, from resilience, teamwork, leadership, persistence, um, determination, they're probably the really key ones that I hear a lot of constantly whenever I'm speaking with athletes. Um, Mm. I'm lucky enough to talk to them as they might reach out for some, you know, career advice. And we really encourage them to do that because when they speak to a career practitioner, the career practitioner helps them articulate those, those skills in different environments. Um, so whether they are, um, you know, transitioning from high school to secondary school or from, sec, uh, from, you know, university to, um, sorry, I should say from high school to, uh, to university or to TAFE um, and then from there into work. Um, having the ability to articulate some of those skills that I just spoke about can be the difference for them actually gaining employment. So it's very similar to perhaps anyone else looking for a career, um, you know, or a place of employment down the track. Yeah, it's really fascinating. Ross, I've got, got a question for more around, um, you know, how the community can can better support, like, what the AIS is doing and, you know, national sporting organisations and, and harness the and, and support athletes in that transition. Have, have you got any, I suppose, opinions around that and, and how the greater community can better support that process? There's a couple of things I think that are really key is to really uh, take notice, I think, of of what is happening in the high-performance space. So, um, you know, even jumping on the AOS website, there's so much information there for people to understand, um, you know, the environment that we live in in the sports sector. 
Um, you can head to the AIS website and you'll find out, you know, a lot, a lot of um, information around programs such as our Evolve program, which supports elite athletes with work placement experiences and job opportunities. And that's a really good way where, you know, if there are employers that are, you know, flexibly minded or able to offer flexible work opportunities for athletes who um, are prepared to support their development as they also transition through um, their career and help them really achieve what they want to do on the sporting field but support them growing as a person um, is a real win-win there for um, people in the community and people who are employers um, to support athletes. But for athletes to bring all of those skills um, that are transferable from their sporting environment and they are actually quite very ambitious and positive role models and they can contribute a lot to the engagement of others that are actually in the community and working, you know, in different workplaces. We've got a question that we, we ask all of our guests and I'll probably handball this one to Dan because the last couple of episodes I've, I've asked the question. I haven't probably done it to the Lenardi level, but um, Dan, do you want to ask the, our famous question with the books? A famous, yeah, a famous question. It's pretty simple, but do you, have a, do you have a book recommendation that you'd like to share with our listeners or a book that's really changed your life or perspective or really helped you on your journey? Start with you maybe, Aidan. Um, one book that you know I I love and I think one of the best biographies I've ever read was um, Craig Johnston. Um, he played for Liverpool. He won the treble with Liverpool, and he's he's uh, just a a young bloke from from Newcastle. He's gone on to have such a, such a successful life, and mate, he's he's a definition of uh, resilience and and what he went through to to get to the top. It's just mate, an absolutely amazing story. And after reading it, you just think, oh mate if he can do it, I can do it. You know, you think you can achieve anything. So that's one of the best books that I've ever read. And that's probably my, my, my number one recommendation. Love it. Love it. Roz. <laughs> um, I'm, I've got lots of favorite books to be honest, um, Tyson and Daniel, but um, there's one I'm reading now, which is quite profound. It's called mindset. Uh, the new psychology of success. And it's by it's written by a lady. Uh, she has a PhD called Carol Jewick, and uh, it's fantastic. It, um, it's very much around growth mindset and fixed mindset. And uh, it's you know she's done decades of research in the world-renowned Stanford University. She's a psychologist, and it's just a really really brilliant book that sort of shows how success in school, work, sports, the arts, you know, really anything can be dramatically influenced by how you think and um you know touching on i guess what aiden said is you know that athletes live and breathe improvement and um high performance environments so i think any young budding student athletes out there it would be a good book to start with awesome yeah, I, I actually read that book when i was going through university i think they highly encourage us to read it really really good book two more to add to the uh the wish list on my audio book profile <laughs> <laughs> Aiden, final one from me. I've always, always, always wanted to try playing water polo because it looks so fun. One, is it actually is as fun as it looks and is it as hard as they say? <laughs> um, uh, yeah, I think, oh, sorry, mate, I had to tell you, but I think when you first try it, it is everything as hard as they say it's going to be. But as you, as you get used to it and stuff, because you, you basically have to learn how to do everything 
all over again. You know, it's not like uh, it's not like a sport where like touch footy where you already know how to run. Um, and water polo is not like swimming either because you have to learn how to do egg beater and and how best to move your body in the water. It's not just going up and down in a straight line. It's going, you know, in a million zigzags. So you've got to learn all the technique all over again. So that that's quite difficult, but mm. mate, it is it is as fun. It's physical, um, requires a lot of skill and a lot of fitness, mate. I, uh, I'm pretty biased, obviously, but I think it's the best sport in the world, mate. <laughs> yeah, I swear, I want, to, I want to promise myself, I want to go try it one day. Or maybe if we come to see, up to Sydney one day, you can take us for a casual game. Oh, that'd be amazing. Mate, 100%, mate. If you guys want to come down next time you come to uh, Sydney, get your budgies on, mate, and come jump in with the Aussie Sharks. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, I'd, I'd have to buy a pair of budgies. I, I don't think I've worn those since I was 12 in my swimming lessons. <laughs> yeah, I'll put you, I'll put you in with, the, with one big bloke in our team, big Samoan bloke, John, Joseph Cage is his name. I'll put you in with him. He's about 6'8 and probably weighs about 130 kilos. <laughs> <laughs> and what, um, what position, I saw um, your position is dry. Is that right? Yeah, I'm a, what, I'm a driver. What's the driver do? The easiest way to understand it is like basketball. Do you know how you have um, the players on the outside around the three-point line? So I'm one of the players on the outside, and, and basically my job is to, to try and shoot or try and feed it into the centre who's in on the paint. Yeah, yeah. No, it's it's got me G'd up to um to start water polo. And, and <laughs> <laughs> Oh, any time you want to come down, come on down, you shoot me a message. Oh, thanks, mate. Sounds really good. appreciate it. Well, guys, thank you so much for coming on the show tonight. Um, Roz, just one last one for you. If there's any potential employers that want to register their, their interest in Evolve, how can they get in, um, involved with the program? The best way, again, is to go to the AIS website, uh, the Australian Institute of Sport website, and just put in the search bar Evolve. Um, and there's some information there for um, potential employer partners uh, or you can get in touch with us at career and education at ozsport.gov.au. Last one also, Aidan, how can um, our listeners follow your updates, mate, and, and what hopefully will be, will be a positive unfolding story around Tokyo? Um, it's probably best, um, obviously, just to, to stay in touch with the AIS or maybe follow the AIS on, on Instagram and and follow the Aussie Sharks, uh, or the, it's actually the Australian men's and women's team, Instagram. Um, that's probably the best the best go-to. So hopefully, guys, get on board. All the support is, is much appreciated. And, and you know, we'd love to see as many people down at the pool and, and getting around the team as possible. Awesome. Thanks for sharing your story. It's been amazing hearing it. And thanks, Roz, for sharing all your insights with the, work, the great work you do at the AIS. It's awesome to see elite athletes getting that support around, you know, their career development, their own well-being and their own personal development yeah 100 yeah we look after many sports and we hope to see everyone next year in july in tokyo thanks so much guys thank you very much guys it's been a lot of fun thanks for listening if you've enjoyed this episode of the arrive and thrive podcast please let us know by sharing it with a connection and leaving a review we hope that through this podcast even more people can design a career and life that they love and are proud of see you soon